so many times, you know, people with different personality types think the other type is less spiritual. And you have the extroverted people think that, the, you know, you're really getting into the Holy Ghost when you're getting rowdy. And those quiet types, they're, you know, just kind of Scandinavian reserve folks. And the people who are quiet and reserved tend to think that the out loud, radical, rowdy folks are kind of campy or, or flighty or whatever. Maybe there's a little truth on both sides, but, but the, the, the thing is, is that seeking the Lord is not about doing it one way or the other. It's about seeking the Lord. And, and uh, I, I think the balanced approach is to say we need both and we need to do all. And so that's why we have these different types of ministry. I went on a silent retreat one time, uh, all day silence. Hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It was a <laughs> <laughs> but uh, God used it and uh, really kind of ministered in a profound way. It was good. I'm Greg Boyd. I'm senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church, and I want to uh, say hi to all of you. I'm glad you're here. Uh, we're going to have some announcements, and then we'll get into the Word. If you're visiting here for the first time, we want to welcome you, or second time, and we encourage you to fill out one of the visitors' forms in the bulletins, and if you turn that into the visitors' table out in the gathering area, uh, you get a tape and some other information about the church uh, that can help you if you're in the process of, of uh, trying to decide where the Lord wants you to be in terms of a congregation. This will let you know kind of what we're about. Uh, if you haven't done so already, please turn off your cell phones and beepers and buzzers at this time. Uh, and if your baby starts to act up, we encourage you to bring them into the uh, crying rooms in the back uh, where you can hear us, but we can't hear you. This is the last day that uh, you can make a reservation to attend one of the information seminars. In fact, the information seminars are all booked up except for one. March 30th still have some openings. This is where we uh, bring everyone up to speed on the vision for growing in the spirit that includes paying off the debt in the youth center and a number of other ministries. And uh, really encourage you to attend this if you're part of this body. Uh, it's an important uh, information session. And so if you fill out the form that's in your bulletin and drop it off in one of the baskets in the, in the, in the back, uh, you'll let us know that you're coming. There's uh, uh, child care up to fifth grade, but we need to know who's coming because we give food and uh, stuff like that. We serve lunch here. We're having one of them, for example, after the service, and we have some lunches ordered. Um, register for Alpha. We're doing another Alpha course. This is our evangelism course. Hallelujah. Our evangelism course where we, uh, for, for new believers or for people who are just kind of checking out Christianity, it's this uh, wonderful course that... Uh, uh, kind of takes you through the basics of the Christian faith and why become a, a believer and things like that. Uh, it'll be running from April 8th to June 17th, and we encourage you to, to attend that if you're a new believer or are interested in becoming a believer, or to invite a friend of yours that maybe is, is interested in Christianity. Invite them to that group as well. Also, this is the last day of registration for our Theological Institute. There's a number of courses that are available, and so if you're interested in registering for that, you need to do this today. Today's like a deadline day. And so um, uh, uh, check out on that in the gathering area. Another piece of information is that we are opening up a room every night uh, for you to come and pray for the war that's going on now. And we'll hold that open uh, starting tomorrow night as long as there is a war that's in, in, in process. So we invite you to attend this. If you can't, we encourage you to pray uh, about this war um, on your own and in your small groups. I'll say a little bit more about that here in a second. Uh, and finally, just read the bulletin for all the other ministries and opportunities that are available to you. Uh, one of the things, just so you might, you know, in, in case you're interested, do you know that uh, just by being here, you're a healthier person? Uh, it's true. There's scientific uh, proof of this now. Actually, there's been scientific proof of this for some time, but it was reported in Parade Magazine. 
Let's listen to this. Uh, you know, those, people who pray regularly, uh, they have lower blood pressure. They have a healthier immunity system. A number of studies showing this. They tend to get depressed less and for shorter periods of time. Uh, they uh, recover from alcoholism more effectively, uh, from hip surgery, from drug addiction, stroke, rheumatoid arthritis, heart attacks, and bypass surgery. They tend to live longer uh, with the, uh, the AIDS virus. And it says here that a six-year Duke uh, University study of, of, of 4,000 men and women, uh, all over 64, found that the relative risk of dying was 46% lower for those who have frequently attended church service. So there you go. We're the person says here, if, uh, if prayer were available in pill form, no pharmacy could stock enough of it. So, in case you needed one more reason to go to church and pray, I just gave it for you. Would the ushers come forward, and I want to pray for uh, the offering. I want to pray for the message. I also want to lead us in a prayer uh, on this war that's going on now. I, I don't know how you feel about whether it was necessary or not. And, you know, there's a lot of different arguments and considerations and opinions. And I suspect this congregation, like the country, would be kind of torn in half on this. Um, but but what, is, what we know as kingdom people is this. We have an unequivocal word from the Lord in his word that we are to pray for peace and to pray for our leaders. Uh, we're, we're, we're commanded to do that. So I don't really care what your political opinions are. I care what your kingdom opinions are. And we're, we're, we're to be people who use our authority as kingdom people to pray for peace. And so I want to pray and encourage you to be in prayer that uh, this war comes to a speedy end and has the best possible outcome with as little bloodshed as possible because life is so precious. American lives, British lives, and Iraqi lives are so very precious of infinite worth before God, and it's a tragedy when they're lost. So we need to pray uh, for all three of these areas. Let's pray. Father, uh, I, Lord, we just here together collectively uh, come as your children and cash in the kingdom chips you've given us to leverage prayer uh, and to release peace from heaven in that area, Lord. Don't know how, don't know the mechanism, but I just pray you'd be influencing strategically to bring peace as quickly as possible. Father, we pray that there'd be as few casualties as possible. In this fallen world, war happens, and sometimes it's inevitable, but we pray, Lord God, that the precious Iraqi lives and precious U.S. Li uh, uh, lives and all the allies, all the people involved, Lord, that, that, uh, that you'd be, there'd be a protecting force there, Lord God, that innocent lives wouldn't be lost, and as few of, of the troops would be lost as possible, Lord. And then we pray, Lord, that you'd bring a, as positive an outcome out of this as possible. Be moving over there, Lord. Uh, give our leaders wisdom and give their leaders wisdom, Lord, uh, to know what is the, the smartest thing and the best thing to do here, Lord, and bring it to pass. Don't know how to pray more specifically than that other than just say, Lord, be moving over there. Somehow, as only you can do in your kingdom wisdom, turn it to your advantage. I don't know how, what that even would look like but you're able to bring good out of the most messy situations. And somehow, Lord, use this to further the purposes of your kingdom in this world. We pray, Lord, for the offering, God, and consider it a privilege to give back to you just a portion of, of what you've given us as a symbol that it all belongs to you, and we're just stewards. We pray, God, that you'd always be reminding us of that and always be, Lord, teaching us to be kingdom people with kingdom values. Father, we pray that, that financial burdens would never be an obstacle to, to this ministry accomplishing what you've called us to accomplish. So just be moving in our hearts and minds. And as your word goes forward here today, we pray in Jesus' name that it would have all the power and authority 
that uh, your word has, not that a human word has. It's not a speech, Father. It's just words. Unless your spirit is infusing it with your authority, do it, Lord. Do it, Lord, and change us. Teach us to know your ways, to walk in your ways, to obey your ways, to be transformed by your ways, and to hear from you what your ways are. We ask all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. I, I strongly just sense the Spirit of God here this morning. Just uh, really, in fact, this whole weekend's been like this. Uh, there's just been a tangible presence of the Lord here. Uh, you know you had a good worship service when you're tired and sweaty and hoarse. <laughs> Uh, but, but it's all worth it. I, and I just so appreciate times of refreshing when you're in the presence of the Lord, worshiping Him in spirit and truth with all your mind, heart, body, and soul. So the presence of the Lord is here. Uh, I want to talk this morning about, in fact, it will, it will go into next week as well, about communicating with God. How do we communicate with God? How do you talk to God? How does God talk to you? And really that's more the issue, isn't it? How do we hear from God? It's an important topic, I think, at any time, because uh, as anyone, anyone in on the know will tell you, communication is the essence of any relationship. Men, remember that? Communication is the essence of any relationship. It's about, communi- about communicating. And that's true of our relationships with people, and it's true of our relationship with God. And so this is a foundational, centrally important topic. It is, I believe, especially important at this time of our church's life because we're turning the corner here and going down the the home stretch to the beginning of this campaign that we're calling Growing in the Spirit. God has given us a huge vision. I think ordinarily we undershoot God in terms of the things we have faith for, but this vision feels like a God-shaped vision. We'll be saying more about that in in, in the information session and... and, uh, in the future, but, but, but we are, it includes this, paying off the, the debt of the church that we acquired to renovate this building to give us the sanctuary. We want to pay that off because we believe that as, impor- as important as buildings are, money should be as much as possible used on people, not buildings. And uh, by paying off this debt, we free up $540,000 a year that can be used on people rather than going to a building. So we want to pay off this debt. We want to build this youth center that we've been talking about. And I think God will use that to save thousands and thousands of young people's lives and to equip our kids to be the missionaries that, that God wants them to be. Our, our kids are our most pri- prized missionary resource. And uh, to extend it to other kids in, in other churches as we network, network with other churches and offer this facility up to them. So we're, we're, we want to be doing that. We're going to be ministering to churches in the, in the, in the, in the St. Paul area and ministries in the St. Paul area. The Dwelling Place, which ministers to battered women and Living Word Church and Antioch Christian Center and a Spanish church. And, and, and we want to be a team player. We're going to be giving a lot of money away uh, to other churches because we're not giving money away at all when we do that because they're part of the kingdom just like we're part of the kingdom. And we want to bless uh, Minneapolis with the sanctuary, getting behind Ephraim and planting that church um, uh, economic foundation to, to be a resource to other ministries in Minneapolis. And then we want to plant one of those in St. Paul. And we want to network with suburban churches to help fund all of that as we're creating a team atmosphere here in the Twin Cities. And then, just for good measure, we're going to go to Cambodia. And Trin Tramberg, who's a doctor from our church who left her practice to go over there, is now ministering among the poor in Cambodia, going up and down a river on a boat to minister to refugees. 
Uh, we want to build a hospital, a four-story, 30-room hospital church that can be uh, available for these people who can't get into hospitals and a, a place where they can have church services. And um, I guess that's about it. <laughs> it's a $9 million vision. And now here's the thing. There's only one challenge I'm going to bring before this congregation. And that is that you pray. Pray that God moves in our midst. And I want to encourage you seriously to be in constant prayer about this. If this is your church body, then bear some of the burden of the responsibility of moving forward in, in this vision. Resources aren't an issue with God. Hearts of people are. And so share in the burden of this as we move towards this vision and pray that God will be moving on hearts and opening us up and giving us faith to move forward here. And pray that God will tell you, seek the Lord's will as to what your role should be in this. See, I, 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 I want this so bad, I, I just see how much good it could do in St. Paul, Minneapolis, and Cambodia. I, I can taste it. And if I let my flesh get involved, I could begin to do what I think happens a lot of times and you start to pressure people, you start to guilt all people, you start to manipulate people, you, you know, to go, go in all these kind of flesh tactics. And, and we've committed ourselves never to do that because it's not about us, it's not about me, it's not about the board, it's not about Woodland Hills, it's about God. And so it's ultimately God's responsibility, it's between you and God, to, to, for Him to direct you as to what your role should be here. My only job is to lay out the vision and then get you to see God. Just say, let's see God together. And he'll tell you what your role should be. Now, that raises the question with a sense of urgency. How do you hear from God? How, how do you discern the will of God for your life? On this decision, but on any decision. You see, it's, uh, uh, how, how, do we, how do we get a clear bearing, uh, talk God's language? Have you ever seen that, that commercial, that, that Sprint commercial? They, they've got some really interesting uh, commercials out there. My favorite is this one where the sprint guy is sitting behind the desk like a marriage counselor. And there's this couple that's come to see the marriage counselor. And uh, he says, so you're having some problems. And they both shake their heads sadly like, yeah, we're having marriage problems. And he goes, what's it like? And the wife turns to the husband and the husband looks at her. After a moment of silence, she goes, <laughs> And then they both slowly look back at the, at the counselor. And he shakes his head and says, yeah, I, I, I thought so. Static in the communication. That's always, you know, that's... And then, of course, he's going to send him a, or, or, you know, sell him a, a Sprint mobile phone. Phone, well, wonderful. Uh, you know, it's, it's a funny commercial, but it's, 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 in some ways it hits too close to life. <laughs> Do you ever find that in talking with somebody, uh, what you get is... <laughs> It's just static. You don't, you know, what, what are you talking about? Uh, you know, what, what planet do you come from? You talk a different language. You're talking past one another. Always try to model humanness and vulnerability here because we believe that's a, a, a core value. So I'll tell you, for the first 16 years of my marriage, it was a lot of... <laughs> we were fine talking about the weather and other things, but whenever we got to talking about something that was a little intense, uh, an issue, an argument, uh, you know, a disagreement or something, and we had a few of those, I suppose, the first 16 years. Um, it was like, <laughs> we were just talking past one another. It, it, we never had productive arguments. You see, the problem is, is that I'm, I'm almost a compulsively logical, linear thinking, and the only reason to talk about a problem is to solve it logically and to do it as fast as possible. <laughs> Why would anyone go at problems any other way? My wife is 
less linear, uh, less uh, compulsive on, on that score. When she talks about an issue, it's more emotive. She's really high on that emotion, emotional intelligence scale. I'm rather low on the emotional intelligence scale. And so she talks emotively. She's getting in touch with her feelings. She's, she puts out arguments, not as sort of a logical thing, but just sort of to express a feeling that she has. And what she wants is not a solution. What she wants is to, for me to, to know that I'm on the inside. I'm in the box with her. I'm, I'm sharing the feeling, the burden, the, the emotions uh, of, of this problem. Now, when, 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 you, when you express emotions, you don't always do it logically consistent. You know, you say this and this and this and this. But I'm over here with my compulsive logic, noticing that these things really don't match up and they're kind of contradictory. And I feel a compulsion to point that out to her. And it's like, well, wait a minute, you said this. And then you said this. And then you said, well, you know, what, what's going on here? And uh, it, invariably, I'd argue her into the corner and I would win. And, 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 but you see, you can win the battle. You can win every battle and lose the whole stupid war, you know? Uh, men, let me get an amen on this one, you know, and so, uh, and she would say, I hate arguing with you, it's like some stupid game of chess, and, and you come up with the rules, and so you win by the rules, and I feel like I'm in the corner here, and you're smart, and I'm done, fine, you win, and of course I don't win, and now I got to deal with a very, uh, a wife who just felt squashed, and I didn't mean to do that, I was just, I was just communicating and thinking the way I communicate and think, and she was just communicating and thinking the way she communicates and thinks, but we were going like this, <laughs> nothing was getting done. It was about six, seven years ago where, with some help, uh, I finally began to get how she was processing stuff. You see, when, when, she's, when she's going at an issue, uh, you know, she's, she, it's, it's like a, a painting. She puts it out here, puts it out there, puts it, it's like a poem. And, 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 you know, in poetry, being logically consistent isn't that important. You, you want to express what's on your heart. And, and so I learned that pointing out the logical inconsistencies, it's like critiquing a poem uh, with a criteria that would fit a philosophical discourse. It just doesn't work. And I remember when the light bulb went on, as we're sitting in the counselor's office, and she's just trying to talk about why she argues the way she does. I, I, and I remember thinking to myself, ah, <laughs> it's a poetry deal. <laughs> it's a poetry deal. My wife is into poetry. Ah, little McFly. Uh, and so now I, I, I've learned to talk more her language, and she's learned to talk more my language. And, and, when, and when she's got something on her heart, she'll spin it out over here, kind of a, a, a mosaic of, of expressed feelings. And I still notice, of course I notice, the logical contradictions, but I shut up. Uh, it's, it's, it, hallelujah. The key to all good communication is knowing when to shut up. <laughs> and, uh, and if I have one of my, you know, solutions, maybe tomorrow would be a good day to share it. But right now, she needs to know that I'm hearing her and participating in this. And once she feels like I'm in the box with her, then I can uh, offer up a, a solution. It's all about learning how to, uh, how, uh, getting on the wavelength of another person, their language patterns, their thought patterns. Now, do you ever feel like this with God where what you get is <laughs> just static? You talk to God, but does he talk back? Uh, you know, and then, then it's like talking on a telephone and, and you never get, you know, hey, did you hang up on me? You know, you, you never get any feedback and you begin to wonder if there's anyone on the other line. Uh, or maybe you get stuff, but it seems kind of static and, and there's no clear direction. We've got to learn how to talk about, how to, how to hear God's, God's word. Uh, some people, I think, because they don't hear from God and it's not clear, they turn to magic. 
fact, it's a common human phenomenon. We turn to magic to try to, to divine the will of God, to try to, to you know, uh, interpret it. And the world now becomes sort of a cryptogram that you have to decode, and your assumption is that God's talking to you through all the events uh, of life, and you have to kind of figure out what God's speaking to you. God so loved the world, he gave us an unsolvable puzzle, and he who figures it out can finally know his will. And so the person's driving to church, for example, real life case here, and they get a flat tire. And, and then they get on and it's like, what, well, God, what are you trying to tell me? Maybe you're trying to tell me I'm not supposed to go to church. I knew it, you know. <laughs> now I'm thinking maybe it has more to do with the nail you ran over or something, but you know, God, what are you trying to tell me? Or someone gets fired from a job, and, and they're like, okay, now, now what's, God, what's God saying to me here? And I want to say maybe you should ask your employer what, what's he saying to you, and maybe it's that you weren't a good employee and you, you, know, you got to you know, brush up on some things. But we, we take the world as sort of this cryptogram and, and, and always try to decode it. And there's no biblical precedent for that, and you can go very, very wrong. Some people play this game of fleecing, throwing out a fleece, or Bible roulette, open up the Bible, and what does it say? And, and that is a very dangerous thing to get involved in. People make some deals with God on their own terms that God doesn't agree to, and they make decisions based on, on what happens. One person I knew... They were thinking about breaking up with her boyfriend, you know, actually it was a fiancé at this point, and they didn't know what to do. And so she made this deal with God. Lord, if our, and of course, they, you know, every couple has a theme song. <laughs> the way we were. <laughs> like, whatever the theme song is, I suppose that, that was good in the 70s, it's not anymore. But, uh, you know, so, you may, so they have a theme song, and she says, okay, God, I tell you what, if, if our theme song comes on in the next 10 minutes on this radio station, then I will know that it's your will for me to stay with him. Not a good strategy for choosing a partner for life, okay? Uh, you know, for one thing, the disc jockey, I'm thinking, probably has a little bit of free will in terms of what, you know, things he wants to put on there. And for all I know, the devil can influence him as much as, you know, God can influence him. It depends on who he's open to. And besides, they program this stuff like a couple days ahead of time. Do you really want to leverage your future on this? I, you know, this isn't the way to try to mysteriously, I call it magical thinking, magically discern, you know, the, the will of God in, in the happenstance events of life. Now, God can talk to us sometimes through events like that, but there's got to be other things going on, and we'll talk about those probably next week. What is the right way to hear from God? What, are the, what is the biblical way to hear from God? I'm going to lay out seven principles, seven principles that I think if we, if, if, if we abide by these, they give us real... Uh, confident ways of discerning God's voice. The thing that's amazing in Scripture, at the very start, you got to know this. The Bible assumes that God does and can and does talk to us and that we're supposed to be talking to Him. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice and they will follow me. We're sheep. He's the shepherd. What good is that if the sheep aren't following the shepherd? And how can the sheep follow the shepherd if they're not hearing from the shepherd? The Bible assumes that we live our life listening to the shepherd. Paul says that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. Look at that verse. As many as are led. In other words, being led by the Spirit of God in our life is a defining characteristic of a child of God. It assumes that, that, that we can somehow communicate with God, hear from God, and walk according to His ways. And what you find in the Bible is that people were always doing this. These people were like tight with God. Uh, God would lead them. God would guide them. God would direct them. Go here. Don't go there. And, and whatnot. For example, in Acts 16, Paul and his company, it says, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. The Holy Spirit forbid them to go to Asia. Why? It doesn't say. 
He just said, don't, don't go there. Maybe later I'll send you there. When they, when they came opposite Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So here they are. Okay, let's go to Bithynia. Boom. Oh, wait a minute. We're not supposed to go there. Then they go over here. Oh, don't, don't go over there either. You know, and how'd they know that? God's talking to them. Go here, don't go here. I want to know how they knew that because in my experience, a lot of times, it's not like that. In my experience, often it's more like... <laughs> how do you hear the voice of God clearly? Seven principles. Principle number one. In some ways, foundational to all the rest. As you're trying to discern the will of God, listen to what God, listen to what God has already said. And where he said it, is in his love letter to us. Listen to what God has already said. He's revealed a lot about his will already in the word of God. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. He's given us a great deal of his will in the Bible. There are some things you got to know. There are some things you don't need to pray about. You don't need to seek God's will on because he's already told us what his will is. Lord, should I, should I forgive this person or remain bitter? Mm, I got this person here. Should I be a loving person or not? Well, he's kind of told us his will on that one. You don't need to be seeking the will of God on this. You know, uh, should I be greedy or not? Should I be sleeping around or not? Well, you know, he, he's given us some real definitive directions on these issues. And so you really don't need to keep on going back asking him on this. He's already answered it, and the place he's answered it is in his word. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't direct us in terms of a lot of our particular decisions in life, but it, it, it gives us a foundation for all of our decisions in life. It's like this. God may or may not have a direction he's leading you in terms of, let's say, what house you should buy. My wife and I are dealing with this right now. You know, we're putting a house up for sale and looking at other places we can move. And so, you know, we're trying to discern where God's leading us. And maybe he'll direct us, maybe not. Sometimes the Lord just says, ah, it's up to you. But, uh, you know, maybe he has a will for where you should live, maybe not. But one thing is clear, and that is he's got a will for the kind of neighbor you should be wherever you live. You should be a Christ-like neighbor. Or maybe he's leading you, maybe not, in terms of what job you should take. Uh, but one thing is clear, and that's that he's got a will for the kind of employee you should be, whatever job you take. You see, and, and, and maybe he's leading you to pursue this relationship or that relationship, maybe, maybe not. But one thing is clear is he's got a will, a definitive will that he's already told you about, about the kind of spouse you should be, whoever you end up being married. See, the, the, foundation, the most important thing is not the particular decisions we make, though sometimes God leads us in those areas as well. But, but what kind of person are you, whatever decision you make, whatever course of action you take, even if you do something that's out of God's will, now that you're there, God says, okay, I'm interested in the kind of person you're going to be in that decision, and he's moving us in that direction. This is like the foundation of a building. The Word of God uh, is, is like a foundation of a building. If we don't get the foundation down, everything we build on it's going to be a little bit off. You see, it's, and so when we're trying to discern the will of God on particulars of our life, if we do it apart from the foundation, our hearing is going to be screwy. We have to attend to foundational matters. I, there was a guy that um, I, I knew several decades ago, actually, out, out east when I was a, 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 my first position in the church. I was assistant pastor. And there was a guy in this church who believed he heard from God that he was supposed to quit his job and fast for 40 days to seek uh, the timing on which God was going to call him to be the missionary to America to bring us all back to God. So he quits his job. Now, he, they already were having financial problems. This poor, sweet wife 
had four children. He had four children too, but he didn't really help out take care of them. She has these four kids to take care of. They were having marriage problems before this happened, financial problems before this happened. He goes into this, his bedroom, has a sink and a bathroom, and that's what he's going to live on for 40 days. And, and he's seeking God's will about being an evangelist. In the meantime, the collectors start calling. The bills keep on coming. They repossess the car. They start to foreclose on the house. The refrigerator's empty. Uh, you know, and the, the wife's having a nervous breakdown because she can't care for all, all these problems and the four kids all by herself. In the meantime, he's there, you know, seeing when God's going to call him to be the mega evangelist for the country. Finally, the wife talked to him and, and convinced him to come out of his room and talk to me for a little bit because he liked me. One time when I was preaching, he saw colors around me, and that convinced him that I had the anointing. I Don't ask me. He saw colors around me. I was Mr. Pastor Rainbow from then on. And, uh, and, and he did it like he always does. Greg, I want you to know I saw colors around you today. You got the anointing. I'm glad I'm colorful. <laughs> you know Okay, so because I had colors, he was willing to talk to me. So he comes to me, and he's always got this, you know, he's been fasting for like 20 days now, and, and he's, he's just hyper-spiritual, and everything's just, you know, God everywhere. And, and he comes to, to, to talk to me and uh, tells me about how God's calling him to be the evangelist for America. And I say, well, what about your wife and children? And he says, well, you know, God's got to come first. That's right, and, and uh, God will provide, and, and you know, that's all there is to it. And I said, well, you know what, brother? I, I think I have a word for you. And he's like, oh, man, a prophecy. I am going to be the evangelist for America. I said, yeah, I got a, I got a real clear, definitive word for you. Uh, it, uh, it's coming to me. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Yes, the Lord's saying to you, you should really read that and apply it to your life immediately. And of course, what it says is, and whoever does not provide for relatives, and especially for family members, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. <laughs> He wasn't like, so, so hot about that one. But see, this is foundational, folks. You get into a, a family, you got kids, you got a wife, you take care of them. That's the definitive word of God. Amen? Now, you can hear God pray. Maybe God's leading you this, that, or the other place. I really don't think this guy was called to be the evangelist to America. His gift mix just wasn't there. But fine, pray about God's leading. But the starting point is the word of God. I, I just have a... a a, a frustration level about people who go off on these tangents, these spiritual things, chasing revivals, trying to catch the glitter that's falling from the ceiling at some place or other, leaving their families, leaving their jobs, forsaking their responsibilities as husbands, when the foundational thing upon which everything else is to be added is that we're to care for our families, supply for our families, meet the needs. Don't even think about meeting the needs for America as a whole unless you're meeting the needs for your wife and your kids. Amen? Amen. That's the foundation. And everything that's going to be built on that has got to be built on that foundation. There it is right there. So principle number one is pay close attention to what God has already told you. Number two, seek and listen. This is all very foundational. Seek and listen. And the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, When you search for me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. Seek and listen. And you find throughout the Bible that all those who walked with God were seekers of God. They inquired of the Lord. They sought the Lord. David, Jehoshaphat, others, they, Moses, they, they would seek the Lord's will and they'd find the Lord and the Lord would lead them. I want us to notice this. This is important. God wants to be sought. Uh, this is on purpose. 
there's something that happens to us when we seek God. And it, it's not always easy and it's not always quick, but there's a value in the persistence of our seeking. It, 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 it makes us disciples. It changes our heart. The process is part of what God wants to communicate. So he says, seek me. He wants our pursuing him to reflect something of his pursuing us. Sometimes I think we don't hear from God clearly because we're not really seeking him. We may be in a formal way, say, Lord, you know, what is your will? I want your will to be done in my life. But we don't really seek him on our will. And see, when we don't really seek him on our will, he can be talking to us, but we're not really in a position where we're going to listen. I, a lot of you know that uh, last year I left Bethel College uh, in the spring. If that was decided that was supposed to be my final semester there. And before that happened, I... Well, the process by which it, it happened was I was sitting on my bed, uh, kind of depressed on a Saturday afternoon, and I, for some time, had been feeling kind of off, like, I, like something was missing, something was wrong. And this is one of the ways, actually, that God leads us. He changes our heart. I'll say more about that later on. But, but um, something was happening. I, I, my passion for teaching was drying up. My creativity was drying up. I was drying up. And I didn't know why. I honestly didn't know why. I didn't think I was in any, in any kind of rebellion or anything. I just, something was wrong. I laid down on my bed, looked up the ceiling, and, and just wondered, why am I, you know, feeling miserable? And whether it was God who put the message in my head or whether it was just me, I don't know. But I finally said out loud what had previously been sort of unthinkable to me. I was like, God, are you telling me I'm supposed to quit teaching and I'm supposed to leave Bethel? And the minute I asked that question, the second I asked that question, the impression I got back was, was, I can only express this way, God was going, duh, <laughs> McFly, <laughs> hello, Boyd, I've been telling you this for about a year, year and a half or so, and you just haven't been listening. You didn't seek my will on this. You weren't even open to hearing this. Sometimes our hearing is sort of like the hearing of, God bless you, we love you teenagers, but sometimes you've got to know, and I'm sure your parents have already told you this, your hearing is selective. Uh, but don't feel indicted because we're just like that, okay? But my, my son says, can we go to the movie? I go, sure, we can go to the movie as soon as we get the lawn done. We have, I've been talking about the lawn for three days. You need to do the lawn first, and then we'll go to the movie. He goes away, comes back two hours later, and says, okay, let's go to the movie. I say, is the lawn done? And he goes, what? I go, the lawn, you're supposed to do the lawn. He goes, that's not fair. You can't go laying these jobs on me at the last minute before we go out. You know, that's, that's not fair. I go, dude, I told you about the lawn two hours ago. No, you didn't, you didn't. You just told me we could go to a movie. You see, he wanted to hear about the movie. He didn't want to hear about the lawn. So what he heard was the movie. What he didn't hear was the lawn. We're, all, we're like that. I had strong motivation not to hear God telling me this. For one thing, all my Christian life, I'd seen myself as a professor, as an academic, as a reader, as a writer, as a teacher. That was my main, that's kind of my identity. And it's always hard to change, you know, your identity when you've lived in it for a while. Maybe even more significantly is that there's some significant fringe benefits to being a professor at college. Your kids get free tuition, and we're talking 20 grand a year. And so, uh, you know, here I was at the, I, I teach 16 years. I finally, my kids are going to college, and now I'm going to quit while they're in college. This isn't very reasonable. I got two of them in college then. So you're going to cut your income down 40000 You're going to increase your expenses 40000 How am I going to do that? And so I, I'm strongly motivated not to hear. I really don't want to hear God's word about this. I got my plans. I got my agenda. This is what makes sense. This is what is reasonable. And all other things being equal, I'd say go down that path. But be open to God. 
you know, submitted to God, telling you maybe something else is going on. Finally, God had gotten my attention. And the minute I said, Lord, do you want me to leave Bethel? He says, yeah. But see, we often don't hear because we have our own plans and agenda, and it's scary to submit it to God. What you got to know, two things here in response to that. Number one, you got to know that God is on your side. Uh, he, he, he has your best interest in mind. If he has you go in an unreasonable direction, there's a good re reason for it. In Exodus chapter 13, really interesting passage, it says here that uh, after they came out of the, uh, the land of Egypt, uh, the, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them, the children of Israel, by the way of the Philistines. Although that was nearer, nearer, for God thought, if the people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people by the roundabout way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went, the Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt prepared for battle. Now this is odd. They were prepared for battle, but obviously God knew that they weren't ready for it. What God was thinking is if they faced the Philistines, the Philistines might fight them. And if the Philistines fight them, they might get scared. They haven't developed enough trust here. I've shown them some plagues and some other miracles, but there hasn't been enough trust there. They're going to want to book it back to Egypt. They're not ready for this yet. I'm going to take them a long way. I'm just going to avoid a battle at this point. Now, the Israelites think that they're ready. They're prepared for battle. But God knows their heart, and God knows this unseen enemy. They've never confronted Philistines before. So God takes them in this, uh, this long way around. How many unseen enemies is God trying to help us avoid by leading us in different ways? And it may seem unreasonable, but if you could see the big picture, you'd see it's very reasonable. You see, God knows more than we know, and he's, he's leading us in, his, in, in ways that are to our benefit. So it's to our benefit to listen, even if we don't really understand. The other thing you've got to know is this. The roundabout way that the text is talking about was really roundabout. Uh, they had a beeline that, to the promised land, but they had to go by the Philistines to get there. God saw they weren't ready for it. So he takes them out into the wilderness, away from the trees, away from the food, away from the water, out into the desert. And they go way out this way, and then they've got to go come to this Red Sea, and he hasn't told them how they're, how they're going to go over that Red Sea yet. So to, on a natural level, on a strictly reasoning process level, this looks like idiocy. You got five miles to go straight there and we're home and there's, there's, there's provisions along the way. And now we're going to go out in this wilderness where there's no food and there's no water. We're going to die. So you got to know, this is the second thing. If God, if God leads you out in the wilderness, there's a good reason for it whether you know it or not. If God keeps you from going to Asia to preach or Bithynia to preach, there's a good reason for it whether he tells us or not. But the second thing is this. If he leads you in the wilderness, he's going to make a provision. He's going if he has to send down manna from heaven and make water come from a rock, he's capable of doing that. If he calls you to walk on the water, he's going to keep you from sinking. You can trust him on this. He's not going to lead you out there to die. He's going to supply you. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to provide for you. Uh, he's going to hold you in the palm of his hands. It's always in your best interest. It's safe to submit your life before God. When we stick to our own plans and just kind of block God out, you know, and, and have selective hearing... And don't seek him on all matters. Well, we, we may be doing ourselves harm. In fact, we will be doing ourselves harm. Submit your life before the Lord. I found with this Bethel thing, just to bring that whole story full circle, that the, the day we made our decision, my wife and I, it was kind of scary. It, it, you know, on a natural, we don't know how we're going to do this. But we really felt peace about it. Like, this is what we're supposed to do. 
And the, the minute we made this decision, I'm not going to tell you how, but a number of things started happening that we could not possibly have known about, had not planned for. It, manna started coming from heaven and water started coming from a rock and God's been taking care of us. And there's been some sacrifices for sure, but he's been taking care of us. It's been amazing. And uh, I'm here to tell you, he's not going to leave you high and dry. Listen to what God has already said. Seek and listen to him, uh, his word today in all areas. And number three, the Bible says delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. The third principle is delight in the Lord and follow your heart. Delight in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. This is also very, very foundational. I don't think this text means that if we delight in the Lord, that we can put out our wish list, and God turns into a Santa Claus where he's just going to give us our wish list. Uh, there's just so many other scriptures that argue against that, that interpretation. What the Lord is saying here is that if we delight in the Lord, he'll give us the desires of our heart. It's not, he doesn't give us what our heart necessarily desires. He gives us the desires of our heart. See the difference there? In other words, what you desire is going to be what God has given you to desire. As you delight in the Lord, as you f make him the source of your joy, the joy of the Lord is your strength, as you make him the source of your worth, the source of your life, the source of your self-esteem, the meaning of your life, as you do that, your desires become the desires that he wants you to desire. And now, following your heart's desire is one way to know that you're in the will of God. It really is no different than the principle that Jesus talked about when he said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Whatever is your source of life, whatever is the most important thing to you, whatever you get worth from, whatever you get value from, it's like a, it's like a center of gravity that bends your desires towards it. If, if your worth, if your value is found in your looks, your desire will always be bent towards that. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so you'll spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of thought on, on, on how you look. If, you're, if your worth and value is found in your possessions, it's going to bend your desires in that direction. If your worth and, and, and value and self-esteem and meaning is found in your religious performance, man, your desire, your time, your energy is going to be spent polishing up your religion, you see? Uh, if, if your worth and value and source of life, if your delight is found in what people think about you, then your desire is going to be curved in that direction. You're going to spend a lot of time and a lot of energy making sure that, that people think the right thing about you. And you'll get compulsively weird if someone misunderstands you and has a bad opinion about you. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It applies to the Lord. If, if, if the Lord is our delight as he's supposed to be, if we're seeking first the kingdom of God, if, if our whole identity is found in Jesus Christ, then you, can, then you can pretty much trust that the things you desire are the things he's given you to desire. Some people think that obeying God is a miserable thing. Like it's pulling teeth. And, 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 and you know, one, one of the ways that you can know that you're in God's will is that you're miserable. I'm sacrificing for Jesus. Oh, it's not easy, but you know, it's for Jesus. I gave up this nice day to go to church. Yes. Oh, but really, it's nothing. Really, I... And, and, and I, I've known a person who, who really was wondering whether they're in the will of God because they're having fun doing it. And like, oh, I feel guilty because I'm really enjoying this. Maybe God's calling me someplace else where I'll be miserable. 
God isn't into making people miserable. He's into, he said, I've come that, that your joy might be fulfilled, that my joy might be fulfilled in you. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. God doesn't wire things so that we're miserable following his will. He wires things such that if our orientation is right, it's a gas following his will. There's joy following his will. There's life following his will. There's peace following his will. There's fulfillment following his will. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Do you really think that I'm miserable up here talking this way? You know, it, it, some people say, oh, how can you go and, and every week have to get in front of all those people? And this is fun. I'm, I'm having a blast. Look at it. You know, woo. You know, woo. I, this, is, this, this is the desire of my heart. You think Norm's up here being miserable when he's leading worship? No. This is, I really think that if, if the Lord is the delight of your heart, one of the ways that you know that you're in the pocket of God's will is that you're having a rip-roaring good time. There may be hardships. There may be sacrifice. It may not be convenient. But your heart of hearts is saying, this is where it's at. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is the fulfilling thing. You know, if it's only pulling teeth if your delight is in something other than the Lord. See, if your delight is in other things and you're trying to do God's will, now it feels like pulling teeth and trying to get people to do stuff that they don't want to do. It, it, it's, it, this is why you sometimes have people who will try to get people to do the right thing when they don't want to do it by badgering them, putting pressure on them and manipulating them. Come on, you ought to be, you should be, you got to be, you better be, you know, and yada, yada, yada. What's wrong with you folks? Let's see, that, the, issue is, the issue is not the behavior. The issue is what are you getting life from? Because get, get, given what you're getting life from, it's always going to curve your desires there. The most important thing in discerning the will of God is to make him the source of your life. Delight in the Lord. Uh, 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 you know, seek first the kingdom of God. And now you'll find that your desires begin to change. And he leads you by putting desires on your heart. Trin Tranberg, over there, you know, working 12, 16, 20 hours a day uh, in terrible conditions on a boat with mosquitoes, uh, you know, s serving the, the poor and, and the sick. And it's a hard life, and she sacrificed a, a, a great job uh, to go over there. And see, if, if comfort and convenience and, and, and wealth, if that's like a source of life to you, you're looking at her and you're thinking, what is wrong with this lady? Well, that, if, if I had to do that, it'd be like pulling teeth. I, I don't think I'd ever do that. That'd be, that'd, I'd be so miserable if I was doing that. But if you talk to Trin, yeah, there's a lot of sacrifices, and it's not all just a hop, skip, and a jump, but there's a fulfillment and a joy and a completeness and a passion there. Uh, she, she loves what she's doing. This is, what she's, this is her heart's desire. This is where she wants to be. If she was forced to come back here and be in a U.S. hospital, now she'd be miserable because that's not her heart's desire. God leads you according to the desire of your heart. There's sacrifice, but it doesn't feel like sacrifice because it's what you want to do. For me, it's kind of like the difference between spending $500 to repair my car and five, spending $500 on books. The car hurts. The books doesn't. $500, I just had to fix uh, my car. It's like, no, what a waste of money. I, I hate cars. I've always hated cars. I always will hate cars. I wish we were still with horses and buggies. You know, the only problem is scooping up the poop, and then you're done with it. But $500 on a car, it's like, oh, this hurts. Now, I can go to a bookstore and $500, that's like, well, what? this is worth it, man. These books. <laughs> this is, well, see, my desire is more towards one than the other. Uh, one of the miracles that happened when we got into this building, on paper, the, my friend who was an expert said, Greg, you, you're not going to raise $4 million. Uh, you, your people just don't have that money. <laughs> just look at the giving pattern here. 
But we went forward because we think that resources aren't the issue. And we needed a couple of miracles to happen. One of the miracles, I just want to tell you about this, is uh, a, a couple that, that don't even go to the church here. They come sometimes, but it's not the regular church. But their daughter goes to church here and has been impacted by the ministry. We were, you know, kind of casting the vision to get into this building, and she went and told them about the vision. He called me up one morning, and he said, Greg, you know, uh, I don't go to your church that much, but I really like what you're doing and what you've done with my daughter, and I, I, I think, you know, God's in it, and so I, I want to I, I give $100,000 to this building campaign you're doing. And I'm thinking, praise God, this is wonderful, this is wonderful. He called back a couple days later, and now he was kind of giddy. He had like a, like, like a, you know, he was... He, he was really kind of beside himself. And he says, Greg, okay, this is going to be kind of weird, but I really want to give $250,000 to that building campaign. I've just been talking to God, and I think this is what I'm supposed to do, and I want to do this, you know? And, and I, yeah, it's kind of weird. And it wasn't like he had spare cash hanging around. He was going to have to make some sacrifices and, and do some juggling to make this happen, but that's what he wanted to do. I'm going, praise God, wonder how there is a God, manna from heaven, water out of a rock, it's happening. <laughs> a couple days later, he and his wife showed up in my office. And they were like two kids in a candy store. I mean, they're like giddy and joking and pushing each other. Oh, you know. And like, we're going to give a half a million dollars to this thing. Yeah, we, isn't that nuts? You know, like, uh, but they, see, no one had to go, you know, you ought to, you better, you got to, you know, come on, cough it up. You know, no pressure, no manipulation, no anything. In fact, if you tried to do that, it would have ruined all the fun and it probably never would have happened. But God began to work in their hearts, and that's just what they wanted to do. It wasn't pulling teeth. It was joy. There was this, this, this thing that is there. It was the desire of their heart. And so as we delight in the Lord, he gives us the desires of your heart. There's checks and balances we got to put around this because we can kid ourselves. And I'll talk about some of that next week. But all of the things being equal, the, 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 the main thing to getting your hearing device on is to make the Lord central in your life. Delight in him. Get your worth from him. And you'll find that... Pretty much, it's like St. Augustine said to a monk who was driving him crazy with all these questions about what decisions he should make. St. Augustine said, you know what, buddy? Love God with all your heart and do whatever you want. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of truth in that. It's like, okay, just love God and, you know, the, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Here's an exercise. I close with this. An exercise that I have found to be very, very helpful in discerning God's will. When I'm faced with some alternatives, Lord, do you have an opinion here? You know, what is your... Your, your desire here, I lay out the alternative. Do this, two steps. Number one, spend some time just worshiping God, exalting God, delighting in the Lord, uh, you know, just purifying your motives, becoming, becoming oriented right. Just worship the Lord. Spend some quality time doing that. And then number two, go right into prayer. And this applies whether you're making a decision about job or partners or, or church or contribution or business or anything, any decision. Worship the Lord, and then go into a time of prayer, and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you here. And what I do, this has been so helpful for me, just in prayer, play out the different scenarios of each, uh, of each alternative. In other words, if I decide this, what, what, is, what does my life look like? What does our life look like if, I, if I'm living in this decision? See it in full color. Hear the sound. Run a virtual reality movie. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Run a virtual reality movie of what your life looks like having made this decision. And then run a virtual reality movie in your mind. Ask the Holy Spirit to inspire your imagination of what your life looks like if you make the other decision. And play that out with all your alternatives. And then ask this question. Which one is the desire of your heart? Your heart of hearts. 
That's not asking the question, which one's easiest, or which one's most convenient, or which one even makes the most rational sense, or which one do you think you're capable of, or any of that. But at the core level, what, which, which one of these decisions, and maybe you have to run it through a couple of times, but there's a sense of yes to it, a peace, a congruity, a fullness there, an aha, if you will. You run out the two scenarios. And all other things being equal, if your delight is in the Lord and you want to do His will, the one that is the desire of your heart, the core of your being, that's the one that you should move towards. As I did this with the Bethel decision, played out the scenario. I stay at Bethel. Makes a lot of sense. Financial sense. I'm used to it. It's how I've always seen myself. Makes a lot of sense. Play out the other scenario. I leave Bethel. Doesn't make any sense. But it feels right. It, 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 you know what? And, and there's a kind of a joy uh, that's like, you know what, that's what I'm supposed to do. Don't know how I'm going to do that yet. I'm going to need some manna from heaven. I'm going to need some water from a rock. But that's what I'm supposed to go on. And now it's just a matter of trusting God to lead you out in the wilderness and, and, and make it happen. Seek the Lord, and he will be found. Listen, he will show you. Delight in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Let's stand. I want to close in prayer. I want to invite you, if you're seeking the Lord about anything or there's any need in your life that you need to have prayer on, uh, we, uh, we have a prayer team up here. Uh, they'll be happy to spend some time in prayer with you. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and want to begin a relationship with him, over in this corner up here by these doors, by that exit sign, there'll be some folks who will be glad to help you in uh, uh, get, getting started in the Christian walk. For those of you who are going to be at the information session, as soon as the place clears out, we'll have some bag lunches here and we'll eat and the, the, the session will start, I believe, at 1.30 and we'll get going on that. But let me close with prayer here. Father, we are your sheep and you are the shepherd. We want to follow your voice. Teach us your ways. Teach us to have eyes that see and ears that hear. Teach us to have hearts that want to walk in accordance with your mind. Uh, in, in accordance with your desires, Lord. Help us to be a people who lay our life before you and say, Lord, direct us and lead us. We want to be your body, Lord. You are the mind. We are the hands and the feet. Move us as you will. Our heart's commitment is to carry out your will with great faith and expectation, not limiting you according to our own agenda or faith, but knowing, Lord God, that you can use us to do and accomplish things that we could never do on our own. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. God bless you guys. The altars are open. Amen.